I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to another Happy Pod, a, po- a podcast where we talk about movies and things, uh, but we try to stick on the positive angle on it a little more because there's a lot of negativity out there. I'm your host, Ben, from Canada, <laughs> and with me, as always, is my guests, which can introduce themselves. Hello, hello, Ben. Thanks for having me. It's Nathan here. <laughs> Hi, Nathan. Good to see you. I couldn't have done it better. I've tried to intro this a few times before, <laughs> and I suck at it, and that was actually better than my goes around. <laughs> That's your whole name. That's a really long business card. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I try and condense it sometimes. Hello, Ben. How are you? You still not going to say your name? This is Larry. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Larry. No. no. People Hi, Larry. Are here for this episode are not here for me. They're definitely here for Ben. They don't need to know my name, but it's Larry in case anyone. You. Wondering. They literally. People love you. Are you kidding me? People who know me will know you, and they love you. And I'm here too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Right. So apparently I never told you about this, Ben. You never. Okay. I literally was on. Okay. So I've seen another happy pod floating on Twitter. And then suddenly Lawrence, my my colleague, my my work buddy, just retweets (laughs) saying, hey, we have another episode of our podcast. And I was like, excuse me. And I sent you a text being like, you have a podcast and you haven't invited me on. I felt insulted <laughs> and confused, really. Like, were you trying to bury this? Um, no, I wasn't trying to bury this. I'm, how, did you, how have you seen it on Twitter but not realized it's anything to do with I me? don't know. It's just like you retweeting it. So I'm like, oh, this is a podcast <laughs> that Lawrence likes, clearly. I just love to retweet it every week. Yeah. It's the same. I don't, I don't know. You're supporting it or something. And then you're like, oh, yeah, we went viral on TikTok. And I was like, excuse me? Oh, speaking of Ben, do me a favor and just say hi, TikTok. It's me, Ben from Canada, and I'm in this one as well. Hi, TikTok. It's me, Ben from Canada, and I'm in this one as well. <laughs> Thank you. That should secure us for another few another few in the bag there <laughs> we'll milk that for all it's worth i feel like i've i've brought you here under false pretenses slightly ben i feel like i've told you this is nathan's favorite movie of all time we're doing rogue one by the way the way you've sold this to me lawrence <laughs> is for the past few weeks you've told me that you told ben 
that this is my favourite Star Wars movie and I love everything about it and I'm incredibly passionate about it and Ben happens to hate it and he's going to tear it apart and fight me on the podcast while you just sit back with your feet up. Lawrence, you were just stoking flames for shits and giggles then. Meanwhile, I've just been pushing you like Game of Thrones style in different directions. Great. Praying that you'd come together and just beef and I could do no work. It'll be a very middling episode. I think that's we're gearing up for a really good skippable episode. <laughs> ben, I know you've been listening to a few of these since you found out that I was a part of it. Um, <laughs> but for the people that don't know or are here just because they saw Ben's name, firstly, thank you for coming. Secondly, we have a thing we do on this show. All right, the question. Another happy question. So the question is basically, we look at, you know, a movie, a TV show, a game or whatever we do, uh, and I come up with some sort of question that vaguely references it in some way. Sometimes they're good, sometimes... You, sometimes you've got to really look for that connection. You've got to really <laughs> search down there. I'm, 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 I'm pleased with this one. I think this one's done well. Uh, and then, so what I do is I pose the question to you that you have until the end of the recording to give me your answer. So think about it, so let it stew and then you've got to come up with something. All right, so what's the question? Uh, so the question for today, because uh, we're talking about Rogue One, uh, I've, wrote, I've actually wrote the question down. This is more prepared than I've ever been before. Uh, so this movie has brought back something that's been a staple of Star Wars since it was first introduced, which is a droid or a silly little robot with a funny voice. Now, I'm not talking about R2 or BB-8. I mean kind of like K2SO, is L3. Nathan, what's the one by Matt, with Matt Berry in it in Book of Boba Fett? Is there one with Matt Berry? Yeah, fake fan. You also got Taika or Richard Ayoade in Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. Taika played IG-11. Richard Ayoade That's played the, the like security droid thing. Cannot remember Matt Berry as a droid. He's in Book of Boba Fett. He's the main is one he? that's like comes with the palace. Oh yeah, so he is. No, that's Matt Berry. I mean, but that's the thing. You can't you can't tell it's Matt Berry because he doesn't come in and is like, "Shall we feed them to the rancor?" <laughs> Which should have happened. Although under now knowing that it's him, I need to rewatch that scene because actually it's a very funny scene now. <laughs> so my question to you guys uh, is. So you're making a Star Wars movie. Any Star Wars movie that you you fancy, I want a brief design choice on your droid. Is it going to have wheels? Is it going to roll about? And I want to know the famous person you're choosing to perform the droid, oh as God. in voice act for Fucking the droid. Hell, all right. So we just got to make up a whole character. No, you don't, you've got like I'm not expecting like concept art and designs from you both, but like just <laughs> you know, give me a Ralph McQuarrie. <laughs> You just Do you want me to make a PowerPoint presentation for this? Or... If you can if you can do a PowerPoint presentation at the same time whilst focusing on the podcast, then yes I do. For the first time ever I'm having to make notes on your fucking question. <laughs> Nathan, fuck you, it was a good one this week. I really liked last week's, which is would you do it? <laughs> That's a good <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, so, yeah, Rogue One. Uh, ben, I asked you, I floated around some episodes that were coming up. You specifically requested the Rogue One one. I just have a, I have a lot to say about Rogue One. I think Ooh. Rogue One is, is uh, an interesting movie. It's the first... The title I've, I read is in reference to the fact that it's the first Rogue Star Wars movie that isn't part of the Skywalker saga, as well as describing uh, Jyn Erso by saying, oh yeah, she's a Rogue One. Um, and then the call sign of the ship, which is quite a holistic title. It's interesting. I I think it's honestly I think it's fucking amazing. I think it's 
astounding that they made this, that they're like, you know, we're going to do a prequel, except we're actually going to make it a, a, an important prequel in the fact that everyone dies at the end. And so <laughs> we're not, and when you rewatch it, you're like, oh yeah, they're in danger because I know that they'll die by the end. It's not like a prequel where you know there's another movie coming up. Um, so it's astounding, the the attention to detail, the pro- product design, the way it's shot is it's overwhelmingly cool. The sense of scale. It, I really love it as a design. Ben Mendo, legendary Star Wars villain, just immediately slides into it. The The Death Star is given weight. The way they connect it to, is a prequel to the fourth movie. It's really incredible. And I kind of hate it. Okay. <laughs> it's just, I, I don't, I, I just, but, but only because I feel as a viewer, as a filmmaker as well, because I know a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff with this movie, that it's begging to be three-hour epic, and it's been chopped to pieces. So what I'm coming at from... So anyone who's worked on this movie who's listening to this, which I know the entire cast and crew is currently <laughs> listening to this right now. I When I talk about this movie, if I say anything negative, I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about the situation that you were in. When I say this movie sucks, what I mean is that what happened sucks. That's That's kind of where I'm coming from. You know, because I, th- I I believed in what you were doing. Fuck you, Lawrence. Um, <laughs> I really thought I was gonna have a massive fight with Ben over this. And just I'm just looking at my notes on this movie now, and he's just pretty much gone through like every point I have on why I enjoy this movie, <laughs> <laughs> and even the other stuff I would agree with as well. So look at how much work you did, Nathan. I, yes. <laughs> That's what I needed. <laughs> okay, okay, but we should like. There, there, we, I really want to go through each of those like piece by piece, though, because I think they're so interesting and yeah. phenomenally done. But yeah, tell me how you feel about this. No, I would agree. There is definitely a lot of weight to this movie. It's. I think it's one that needed to come out of the gate swinging because, like I say, it was the first one that was not part of the Skywalker saga. It was something very different from the get-go, so they needed to really make a statement with that. Whether or not that landed, that's an argument we can have. Um, but they, they really put everything into it, which I enjoy. Um, a lot of great stuff, like you say, Ben Mendo, ben Mendo Mendelssohn. I love him. I love the character of Krennic, how he's part of the Empire elite, but not really. He's a little less <laughs> refined and a little more rough around the edges than all the other Imperial officers. Yeah. He's like a privileged rich kid that like hasn't earned his spot or respect from anybody, but expects it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And he's, he's really good at doing that. Um, and there's a lot of stuff in the movie which just... As a whole, when it all comes together, to me anyway, it comes into a great little package. Lawrence, what do you think about it? When I heard about it, I was like, the concept was a little bit, not confusing, because like you say, it's a prequel, it does earn its right as a prequel by being like a prequel that's actually relevant to to the world of Star Wars. I do find it funny that the <laughs> the two spin-offs they've made outside of the Skywalker uh, the Skywalker saga are largely made to close plot holes or <laughs> close gaps in the Skywalker saga. <laughs> um, that, that's just something fun. Um, no, I, I really like this. I think Ben's right in the sense that it's it's definitely it holds its own because of the fact that it's a Star Wars movie, but it's the first time the war feels like people should or could die in it, and it's also like it's it's a chance to see both sides of the war as well like they the characters are expanded upon more so than the good guys and the bad guys you know rebels and empire it, the the lines are blurred where you know members of the rebels are fucking not so great people and i mean the empire is always going to have like pieces of shit on it but like you get to see the 
the day in day out kind of bootlicking <laughs> empire ranking officials that it's it's just interesting that it's not as clear cut as black and white yeah like the bad guys in particular it's not so much that they hate and love domination it's more that's those are buzzwords that they use in their community in order to just gain power and influence <laughs> yeah and then they take it to vader and vader's like i don't care about yeah, any I'm of done. this <laughs> right so you've said all these good things why 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 do you hate it ben i okay i don't hate it i hate the situation i i think okay. And this all stems from the fact that I was so hyped for this movie when the trailer dropped. The trailer is one of the coolest things that I've ever seen. I think I just like 10 minutes before we started, I went on YouTube. I watched the first trailer that was released for this movie. Oh my God, it's so different to what we actually get. So different. And that is the prime reason that it frustrated me when I watched it because... I just from a literal consumer's perspective, what was advertised to me, what was promised was not delivered just in like specific elements of scenes and, and the structure and what actually happens at the very end. There's things that have been cut out of this movie and rearranged. And I actually know why, or at least I know the reason that they gave, but it's not really something talked about very much. Like, you know, they don't go over in like Hobbit's very candid way of like, yeah, we, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. Whereas, you know, here they it's Disney. They want to like uphold this like idea that this was always the plan no matter what. Yeah. They do it with Marvel. They do it with Star Wars. But we all know that like, you know, things change and are constantly in flux. And what happened really with this is <laughs> they the final battle was way too long. And it still is pretty long. I actually went back and I was like shocked. Like the midpoint of this movie is actually when they decide to go to Scarif. That's crazy. Half of your movie is on this mission. What they end up kind of sacrificing in order to take that away is a beautiful, wonderful moment where all the characters are running together along the beach and an ACST is shooting at them. And they're running towards it, carrying the Death Star plans. This is a huge part of the promo thing. Like there's a very particular image of Jin carrying it and then there's exploding sand going off around them. And they had to cut it and replace it with them climbing up a tower essentially essentially for everyone who's if you don't remember basically go up this big tower there's a big tower in the middle of scarif and it's got a satellite dish on top the death star plans are inside it then they climb up the tower and then beam it up the satellite there was actually two buildings originally one where the death star plans were kept and one where they had to go to the satellite to beam it up that's that's originally sort of how they structured this ending but in order to clean tighten it up they actually ended up separating the characters for the final battle which really bothers me, especially if you're like it's trying to do like a Saving Private Ryan thing where it's a team and they're all working together on this one goal. They're a squad. They get picked off one by one. If they're not together, it really like loses a lot of the magic that I know is there, that is there when you're seeing it happen to specific characters. That's 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 yeah. what frustrates me. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I don't know if this was got as far as shooting or if it was just in the writing phase, but I do remember reading that the original ending had them all actually escaping Scarif, uh, but then Vader actually just came and just slaughtered them all. Um, I, I don't know if oh that was actually gosh. shot or if that was just in the, in the writing phase. So, That'd be incredible. Yeah. I remember, I remember um, when, what's his name again? Gareth Edwards? Yeah, Gareth Edwards. He was yeah. like, yeah, when we first pitched it, we're like, they're not going to, we want to do like one where they all die, but like, we'll just pitch it with them. Like, you know, just they all survive and get away. And then they pitched it to the executives and they were like, why? <laughs> like the whole plot point was that they all died getting the plans. We should just kill them. And he's like, really? Oh my God. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> so... I don't think they shot as much as that bit, but maybe one of the plans for killing them was Vader. That would have been. It <laughs> really is pretty metal. ballsy 
to have a movie where your entire main cast dies. I will give them that. That is pretty fucking... It's ballsy for a Disney property. It's it's funny in the movie that there is that kind of... Like, you're right, it does... It gets to the point in the battle where, like, it's almost like the film goes, these guys aren't in A New Hope. And then just one by one, they yeah. just start getting kicked <laughs> off. And it's like, it's almost like consecutive scenes apart from um, yeah. Jin and Cassian. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Well, even Cassian has a fake death, like, in the little... Oh, it does. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Like, I love when a movie has like a communication with an audience. Like you feel like it's talking to you or it's listening to you and then it re- responds with something. I remember thinking like, so what's going to happen to all of them? And then the Death Star appears. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. When the Death Star appears as well, it fucking appears in this. Like Gareth Edwards. I know me and Nathan have spoken about this, but like that's something that, that I love about it is just the fucking scale of it. Like Star Wars has never looked or the Empire yeah. has never looked more like physically imposing when there's the um, the Star Destroyer over Jeddah. There's the um, the Death Star just coming in. There's like the ground troopers or like the ground rebel, like the people assaulting the base. Then like the ATAT comes out and like just emerges from like the little jungly bit and like everything that the Empire throws at them is just like how are ten people getting through this? <laughs> like, they just can't. <laughs> okay, I, w- I have a question for everybody because I want to know. You know, the Scarif stuff is really what we all come here for, right? At the back half of the movie, it's mm. this enormous plan with this impossible stakes, really just exciting idea for a movie. How do you feel mm-hmm. about the setup and how it sets up that? Um, yeah, you're right. The Scarif is the, is, it's the ticket for the movie. It's why you're going to see it. It's absolutely the best part of it. Um, the other stuff isn't anywhere near as exciting. It isn't anywhere near as fun to watch. It can even be a little bit boring at times. I, I still think, though, it, it makes everything that happens in the later half of the movie more, not necessarily more fun, but just deeper and more richer really you, mm. because of what happens in the earlier ha- uh, half of the movie those moments of character development where you can see how the characters actually have changed like the, there's a line i really like between uh Saul Guerrero and Jin where he's talking about the empire flag flying over the galaxy and how he can stand to see it and Jin says it's not a problem if you don't look up you can just ignore it you know mm. carry on with your life um it's such a good characterization it's, it's line. so good uh, but then you can see with that throughout the movie how she is changing how she no longer can just look down and ignore it she needs to fight and change it so that's why yeah it's a little bit boring but i feel like you need the first half i think that line in particular was a reshoot because that's when forrest whitaker's got the wig on and he's involved yeah i think everything with forrest you can tell is a reshoot because (laughs) yeah he originally had like just his bald head i think um, yeah. And yeah, they just gave him crazy, crazy wig makeup. Yeah, so. they, they must have. They must have like he must have grown out his hair. And they're like, "Hey, we need you back." And he's like, "I'm not shaving my head." So they're like, "What can we do? Let's just fuck his shit up." Yeah, let's, let's not CGI his head. Let's not do a Justice League situation. Yeah. We'll just we'll we'll make it work. I I really really mm. like Jin as a character. I think she's a brilliant yeah. idea for mm-hmm. this movie. Like it, she feels like a, a member of the original trio that like was never there. Yeah. Sort of thing. Like someone who some gruff outsider who doesn't want to do any of this but like has a good heart. Like it's it's the kind of Han Solo thing but with a different dressing that is yeah. really distinctive. Yeah. You can definitely see her as part of the team on the Falcon and stuff like that and and that's why she yeah. works really. The one who never made it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Poor girl. What do you think of the uh, earlier stuff, Lawrence? 
I think it's, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with you that it can get boring. I think it's, it definitely, you're absolutely right in the sense that it does kind of feel like there's two, not two movies tonally, but there's two movies in terms of like the first half and then the second half. Mm. Um, and side point, Scarif, I'd love to go on holiday in Scarif. <laughs> Doesn't oh, it just look that's so my nice? Favorite, maybe my favorite planet, just aesthetically. Yeah. So nice. But yes, and the, like the earlier stuff, I think it's. I think there's some characters that, that get it more so than others um, in terms of like character and reasons to be there. I really like, um, uh, obviously, Cassie and I love Jin. Uh, a character that I kind of didn't really pay much attention to until I watched it this time was uh, all the stuff with Bodhi. I really like that he's got the. Um, He's got a similar arc going on um, to Cassian in terms of like he's trying to find or reignite the reason for why he wants to do things rather than just falling into the pattern of doing things because that's what I'm told to do. And I think that's always really interesting. And like I said earlier, I love the the switch up in terms of how like you, you're shown that this kind of like high ranking rebel, i.e. Cassian, is just like... It's interesting, like the first, or the setup with him, and like you know, will is it's an interesting conundrum for him to land in. Will he kill Galen? Will he realize that like this guy was just like him, put into a situation that is kind of fucked, and is trying to just do the best he can within the confines of the kind of situation and institutions that he's a part of. Um, and obviously, what Cassian can do is a lot more good than what Galen is allowed to do without putting everyone at risk. Um, and I just think it's interesting to have like an inside man that wants to do good and a guy that's on the inside that's just trying his best to stay on the line of doing good. Uh, and <laughs> like, it, despite the fact that he's being told by everyone who is the paragon of good, supposedly, yeah, just go and murder people. Murder, murdering's absolutely fine. Don't like, who gives a fuck? <laughs> just kill him. It is really interesting that throughout. The original trilogy, you know, when we see the rebellion, uh, they're just scrappy little heroes doing whatever they can to to fight the good fight and to bring down the empire. They're the real heroes of the galaxy. They they did it all and they did it cleanly as well because they're the good guys. But then the our first introduction to the rebellion in this is Cassian literally shooting his friend in the back just to <laughs> just to, so they can get away and get clean escape really and I, and I like that you said earlier it's like it's the lines between them are blurred and that sort of thing things are just not so cut and clear um between the rebellion and the empire obviously one's still a massive fascist regime and the other is trying to stop that so one's still clearly in the right but I like that we're now seeing a bit more of a, like a dirty side to the to the rebellion how they will get their hands a little bit bloody um and that's mm. that's one of the reasons I'm really interested to see what happens with the Cassian show because, you know, before all this, he was someone who would get his hands dirty, how much blood is on his hands and that sort of thing. So I'm really looking forward to seeing all that sort of stuff. There are really, really good balance and cast of characters, like as a as a mm. group. Again, this is just like, I think this is like a Fellowship of the Ring type movie. And I, I wish that it kind of got a really long runtime treatment of it because there's so much to dig into and they all work off each other so well. And the relationships, you know, I never spotted this relationship between Bodhi and Cassian, like you've just said, Lawrence. And they mm. they are two interesting characters of this group that don't talk to each other, but are really interesting to compare. Yeah, oh, man, just their person, like their, their, their looks, they look like a, a fellowship. And they behave like one in this sort of, they all come from different backgrounds and different reasons for why they're doing this mission. And seeing that build up is really exciting. I'm a little confused, I guess, as a viewer, as to why he's sort of struggling with disobeying when he's already done, before the start of the movie, the biggest, boldest thing. 
that he has has ever done in his life right he he has defected from the empire i feel like i'm sort of just like craving i want to see that that's the inciting incident really of the movie yeah and it's so important to his character and it would deepen everything that he does later i just want a three-hour cut man <laughs> i just, just want to see <laughs> I want to see everything. I want to see every deleted scene. I want to see the extended edition of this movie and then put the stuff back in that you had to cut out. I love this movie for what it is so much that I wish there was more of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. More doesn't necessarily mean good, though. It might in this case. I think it it might in this case. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I can see where you're coming from. I think from... I don't know. I think there has to be a reason they cut out a lot of this movie. I don't think it can just boil down to time. Maybe it can. Maybe I'm completely wrong. It's not that long of a runtime, though. Like, it could afford to be 20 minutes longer than it is without Definitely being could. a three-hour movie. I think it was. it 2.20, I think? It's 2.12, right? I yeah, it, it, could two... be, it could be like another half an hour longer if it wanted to without people being like, oh, I'm not going to go see that movie. The Last Jedi was the first Star Wars movie that was two and a half hours. I can see yeah. that, like, they probably felt extremely nervous about the idea. But The, but the Last Jedi was received brilliantly ben what are you talking about everyone unanimously loves it it was a massive risk and they knew it and they were like we're not we're gonna take the massive risk on the mainline one not our first spin-off which we're planning yeah, to do yeah. yearly I, I would absolutely love to see a lot more of this as well because the, very famously there was the shot in the trailer as well um where Jin is she's actually on top of the tower and then she's walking and then there's the tie fighter in front of it um Mm. not in the movie again there's so much in the trailers that we saw that it's just completely ripped from us and stuff that looked great as well because this is you know whether it was gareth edwards or tony gilroy who actually shot it this is a beautifully shot movie in in my opinion Mm. some really good stuff i particularly love the shot um, it's like a mounted camera situation on the on the X wing as it just comes I, out of yeah. space into the battle. Oh, that's yeah. such a good shot, man. There is one. There's actually another one they do later where it's locked off on the X wing and you see it's part of a squadron. The squadron slowly one by one banks yes. in front of you, and then the ca- you're like, oh oh oh, and then the camera goes. And you're like, wee! <laughs> <laughs> I said that. I said we out loud, drunk last night watching this. Uh, that's that's the TikTok. It's just gonna be Ben yeah. saying we. <laughs> <laughs> there is some like amazing imagery like kind of like with what i was saying about the scale stuff earlier like it would have been really interesting to see that because i don't know in what world they chose to take a tight like to cut out a scene where a tie fighter goes straight up against just a person with a gun like that's that's great like it's the kind of like the battlefront scenario that you you anticipate with your mates <laughs> like you just like <laughs> imagine if you could go up against one rebel soldier in a fucking tie fighter like it's sick i said why did they cut out but i actually know the reason because they said oh um so they, they said what i've read is that it was just too similar of a beat to the moment where the AT-AT is like facing down on them and then the next wing comes and blows it up because the exact same thing happened. An next wing just came along and blew up the TIE fighter. Ah, so they just felt it was too similar to that moment earlier. So they just cut it. They could have they could have changed it. It'd be better if it like, what if the TIE fighter, can you stall a TIE fighter? <laughs> like it, just, it got up there and was just, and the, the pilots in it like, oh. Fuck, shit. Well, just accidentally crashes into the tower. Just <laughs> Yeah, just comes up, it's very threatening, and then just spins out out of nowhere. I see why they'd cut it, but, like, that's not the one to cut. The TIE fighter isn't the one to cut. My, my friend, I was watching this with a friend last night, and they said a lot of mean things <laughs> about it. So I wrote some of them down, because I don't want to say mean things, but we could at least interrogate someone's opinion. Um... She said that uh, the story is the least interesting thing about this movie. <laughs> oh, what? no! I, <laughs> no, no, no. I and I think I think what I understand. I think what I think that they're saying is that 
what we get are extremely powerful visuals that tell us a story that is more pure and interesting than the exact circumstances and the plot beats themselves from like the first half around towards when they're in like in the middle of the scarif attack i think that's an interesting point and just like as a story the visuals do most of the work here maybe they're saying it could have been benefited from like just less of faff kind of and putting in more of these kind of like like you said with the Jin tie fighter moment like that's a that's a story moment that just happens visually there's not like a mm. exposition that leads us to that or an exposition that takes us out of it necessarily in, in terms of like trimming faff and stuff i think you lose a lot of like yeah there's a lot of scenes where they're just in the like imperial ship that they've taken or the the other ship that they take as well where they're just talking and stuff but those are for me they're some of the most interesting bits like the conversation with Jin and um and cassian about you know like you know i didn't just wake up one day and decide to start caring about it you know i've been doing this since i was six years old um like you like to lose i think when I, whenever stuff, I, think... I say faff i think i'm just specifically talking about borg gullet <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very fair yeah <laughs> all right yeah, yeah also yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> I, is this the movie that also weirdly set the precedent for the the disney star wars squid monster because I think there's one in every movie after this. There is, isn't there? Well, they got the solo. You got solo because there's a big one in the uh, in the Kessel Run. There's one in Force Awakens, and he's just at the bar, right, with the with the girl. No, the ones in Force Awakens are the the Raftars. The oh I'm yeah, sorry, is holding. Uh, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure there's one in every movie. Well, what comes to mind is the is the alien tip milk alien. That's that's close enough, I'd say. And then maybe Rise of Skywalker would be the snake. <laughs> I think I thought I thought like for some reason for Force Awakens I was thinking it was <laughs> just Uncar Plot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Side point, Ben. Ben, have you do you follow the, the Uncar Plot account on Twitter? No. What? <laughs> every day an account. Um, I'll find the actual name of the account and put it in. Um, every day the um he Uncar Plot will tweet once and he will announce that a certain follower of his is worth a certain amount of portion oh that's great <laughs> yeah I had mine it took like probably like about six months for it to come through after I followed them um, but yeah it turns out I was worth one quarter portion I'm still awaiting my portions to be determined <laughs> but soon soon please I just I okay I, I should say like everything everything that I say sort of in that can be perceived as like a negative on this movie it's all just like me as the editor, like editor Ben being like, why did you cut that and put that there? It's not even getting rid of fat. It's just like if your excuse for um, changing up how Scarif is structured as a scene and what happens in it is that it was too long, then why did you leave so much in at the beginning is sort of my perspective on it. And I know three acts or whatever, like they have to be cohesive. But to me, there, there's a way to, to have a very long ending and still do adhere to three act structures you know that don't have to be related to locations and i guess i'm just more i'm more confused i guess by the movie than yeah. i am like angry or or you know I, that i hate it i i think that there's there's a there as their first movie i can see a lot of studios getting nervous about it and then tinkering with it in yeah, a way that's absolutely. not necessarily helpful i also think I, th I read that tony gilroy okay this might be hearsay just but I, I i think i read somewhere that tony gilroy said yeah i did that fucking star wars movie whatever i kind of slept through it and i was like what <laughs> I, i've heard that too i've heard you didn't care thing. and yeah. so that that sort of like 
Um, but like, clearly, okay, well, he must have cared uh, somewhat because he's doing Cassie now, isn't he? He's yeah. Like, so I, I don't know. That that might have. I don't know. Maybe they just got him on a bad night. You have both forgotten a key component, which is the enormous Disney bag he would have received. <laughs> <laughs> he can he he can sleepwalk through it as much as he wants, yeah. but no one is turning down that paycheck whatsoever. Also, I'd like to say Tony Gilroy is one of my favorite writers and directors. He did a lot of the Bourne movies. He did one of the best movies I've ever seen, Michael Clayton. If you've never seen Michael Clayton, watch that movie. So it's the best lawyer movie of all time, just straight up. It's a lawyer courtroom drama that takes place everywhere but a courtroom. Is she hulking? Is she hulking? (laughs) (laughs) Did he do, is he Nightcrawler or is that Dan Gilroy? That's his, yeah, that's his brother, I think. But I think, yeah, Tony Gilroy and like, him coming in, I, I I don't know if that I don't know which shots he did, but I think that example that Nathan said, where it's like, you know, it's not a problem if you don't look up. That's an amazing line yeah. that was clearly put in by someone who really thought about it. And if it was indeed a reshoot, because you got Forrest Whitaker, snowy reverse Santa beard, <laughs> then then that's a great reshoot, and that's absolutely worth it. There's you know, there's always good reshoots and bad reshoots. Just because something went into reshoots doesn't mean that it was a pile of shit. It was just about refining. I think I really actually love this, but the the state that it's in makes me want to investigate and makes me obsessed with sort of, I guess, solving it in order to make it more itself. So it's always going to be one of those things that, like, what could have been? What could have been? Because, like, there is a... Yeah. This is a good movie with a truly amazing movie hidden within it somewhere. Um, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's one of those things that will just always have you questioning. Yeah, and I think that's a testament to that's a testament to the core idea of it, and in many ways the execution of of it in a, in like almost every way. That it's like, mm. oh my god, you like touched on something super amazing. That I want them to like try it again, make another like one of these interesting <laughs> movies set in a specific time period that tells one complete story that builds into something and feeds in backstory. But they they're not going to try again. So it also makes me revisit mm. it and be like, oh, but well then what could have you done in the first place? Ben, uh, we were speaking the other day about um about the hobbits. We're doing them for Caravan, yeah. and um, I'm wondering if you feel the same applies to this, uh, which is what I said to you about the Hobbit movies and my opinion on them. Do you think that somewhere out there is a wild Topher Grace that needs the roar of this? <laughs> <laughs> and just needs just needs to get it all sorted and they can re-release Rogue One and then Star Wars is booming back in the cinemas. Money's to be I, made. I tried, I tried watching his uh, Phantom Menace, uh, his prequel sort of edit, and I, I couldn't get through it just because I, I know those <laughs> movies so well. So I really don't have any taste or... I don't. I don't have any opinion on whether or not he's actually good at what he does. I just like that he does it more than that. Yeah. And uh, you know, with with the Hobbit, that's really interesting. But with this, it's harder because it's stuff that they just never release that they'll never that's that they'll true. keep in the vault yeah. forever. My headcanon of this, right? When I first watched it, I was kind of contemplating like what that beat from the trailer, where the entire gang running on the beach um, does. What does that do for the characters? Why Why am I craving that? It's not. It can't just be because I think the shot's really cool. Um, and, and, you know, that, that it's awesome and therefore it's cool and, and I'm mad about it. I think that something that could have happened that was in that shot that they ended up removing is that a moment where everyone is together and they're running after one specific goal and then they climb up the tower and what you have are these guardians of the wills, you know, these, these two elderly um, men who are connected to the force once cut himself off from it. They basically get to defend 
this tower from the Imperials on the outside and essentially fulfill their mission, their original mission, which is protect the, the temple. This sort of becomes this metaphor for this temple that they've mm. not been able to do anything for, and it gives them a sense of purpose again. And I, 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 as soon as I was like, oh my God, that's, that's something that this communicates, then that makes me go like, ah! <laughs> how do we, how do we get? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In touch with Kathleen Kennedy and get Ben a job at Lucasfilm. Um, <laughs> I just, that won me over as well. I was thinking, yeah. damn, that's fucking good. <laughs> I, just think, like, I just think there's a lot that they um, imply you know, that they're able to imply because in restructuring, yeah. like you have to complete these character arcs somehow. They imply a lot of stuff. And I, it makes me go, well, what's the bigger thing that you are amalgaming this out of? It's like with Rise of Skywalker. Sorry, um, that sounds like a really bad insult. <laughs> this is the Rise of Skywalker of Star Wars movies. No, um, the, the Rise of Skywalker is the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. There's an incredible video about the Rise of Skywalker. Uh, called How Bad Movies Are Made. I don't know if you've seen this. I've seen the thumbnail many times. but Oh my god, watch. I highly recommend it because it is a gracious take. It is not mean and it's not bullying. It All it does is lay out the production schedule. It just says this is how it started and then this is how every um, recurring draft as they worked on it eventually formed into what we saw. And what's shocking about it is that the Rise of Skywalker is actually based on the original screenplay that Colin Trevorrow wrote, like directly. There's a direct line mm. from it. They've taken all these beats and changed them, swapped them out, and then, okay, well, since that's there, and then we have to put this in there, and then we can take that, but that's still got to be at the end of the movie because that's how it is in the original, so we'll put that there. There's a lot that happens when you restructure things <laughs> that it's entirely because of time constraints and because you're working off of something that has n almost nothing to do with what you end up making. It's so it, it, it completely changed my perspective on how this stuff happens mm. in just that whatever is coming up in the reshoots and the stuff that's clearly reshot that isn't as satisfying. It's because it's actually based on something that was more holistic and pure, pure. I don't know if it's pure, but like, you know, an original draft that maybe had more cohesion in it because it was entirely written as a draft instead of, trying to cobble together a movie as you're shooting it. So, I don't know if I have a point to that, but <laughs> <laughs> it, 
it's it's one of those situations and i find that yeah. situation is what i want to i feel more compelled to talk about than the movie itself it's a good movie with odd moments throughout it it's a good movie that could have been better but at the end of the day it's still a good movie that being said vader's joke is a little weird <laughs> <laughs> And so is so is the uh, the the voice in which it comes from, which is clearly a very old James L. Jones. We've talked about yeah. this many times. I know. Like, what what could they do? Well, they did it, didn't they? They did it in Obi Wan. Yeah, they did it years later with an AI voice instead of actually James <laughs> L. Jones. But careful not to choke. <laughs> my friend, my friend pointed out that how fucking cool would it have been if we hadn't seen Vader for the whole movie and then he shows up in the hallway. Especially because he doesn't, the middle of it as well, he doesn't really show up to do much. He kind of just shows up to, like, like, Krennic's like, look at all these things I did, and he's like, shut up, and then, <laughs> and then leaves, basically. Says, shut up, the... I'm in this movie, for a little yeah. bit. <laughs> see ya. Yeah. There's, there's definitely more Vader scenes that were cut as well, because I think there's a trailer where you see more of him, uh, possibly on the Star Destroyer at Scarif. There's, there's definitely more hmm. Vader that was also cut as well. Um, but, but that final sequence, the whole way... I feel like that's everyone's favorite part of the movie, just because of the sheer fucking horror of it. Really, seeing Vader mm. in just as as we've always wanted to see Vader, but never actually gotten the chance to see him. Favorite is probably not the right choice of words, but it's it's just a fucking. I think it's like the most memorable moment. scene. In oh, hundred like, percent. Yeah, you just like oh my, like as a, as a as a sort of button ending to this, I guess, tragedy. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. this narrow escape, and and uh, it's it's so funny that, that just the movie just immediately ends as soon as that's done. <laughs> it's it's crazy. very big, yeah. And that's that's it's... one of the reasons, like, I think the movie did so well is that it was just like in and out, boom. Here's the coolest <laughs> thing that you've ever seen. Then now, don't go home, go home. It goes from Vader mercilessly slaughtering a whole group, a whole room of rebels, to then his daughter saying, oh, we have hope, it's all right. <laughs> Boom, all right, okay, whoa. <laughs> it's wild. It's a very bold ending that I just I just think is awesome. I think it's really cool that you do that. Maybe in piecing it the, in the edit together, they went, okay, there's some flaws in this, you know, maybe we haven't, you know, deadlines f- next week because we work for Disney. I mean, there's some truth to that. No, yeah, there is, yeah. There, Michael Giacchino was hired like two weeks before the movie came out, I think. I think he only had six weeks to make the score, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's fucking insane. Fuck. Yeah, and it's a good score as well. I think it's, I think it's, as scores go, I think it's really good in some places. And then there's that one song that they keep using, and they use it at the title as well. And it's just... Dun, 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 dun. The hero theme, yeah. Yeah, it feels like Animal Crossing background music to me, <laughs> that, that one particular <laughs> tune. What what bothers me about it, and as a music theory, I'm going to throw some music theory at you, I apologize. But um, it uses a pop chord progression. It uses a one five six four progression which you see in like every pop song from the aughts um and and it's quite jarring because it doesn't when you use a pop chord in a score to me that's telling you something that's that's like trying to evoke a kind of modern feeling to something that i think that's what it is yeah and and to that have that in star wars very new and very like oh and so it might feel a bit off-putting there's i think there's like that moment i think it's in the mandalorian um where we're introduced, I think it's the Prison Break episode, and there's kind of like a, a sort of like a dubstep techno uh, <laughs> song, yeah, and then yeah. straight away you're like, whoa, this this doesn't seem right, this isn't Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. But it's good. Though. That's the thing it's with Star Wars, though, shit sticks out like a sore thumb, but I, and they did, they did it a bit with Solo as well. I do respect that 
risks were taken in terms of they're like there's going to be no title crawl hit bang here's the card no no oh, I um, hate that I hate no. that choice I hate that choice really I do because it seems like there was a title crawl and then they did just cut it out because the beginning of this movie is so abrupt it's it's just a long time ago in a galaxy far far away five seconds of black screen and then <laughs> just straight yeah. into it it's it's Done. very abrupt yeah. Which, which I don't enjoy. I think Solo's the best way to do it. Solo found out the best balance between them. Like, in the yeah. kind of still in that galaxy far, far away, still in that blue font sort of thing. That, that struck yeah. the best balance. Can we talk about freaking Shirat Emway? Yeah, we can. One of the coolest ideas for a character that you could have come up with. Whoever, whoever got that, whoever's like, all right, there's a blind guardian of the wills, and he shows up, he has a best friend who uses a fucking ridiculous machine gun and they're they're a little gay couple that join yeah and he's sort of like this words of wisdom jedi adjacent character he's a jedi who never got to be a jedi kind of no he's he's like he's just more of a accolade i think yeah um that i guess maybe use the force and he's he's at least connected he meditates in the in the like he's uh, devoted to the force he's clearly yeah like to it like 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 in Korra when it's like the air acolytes they they are not airbenders but they study the the yeah. teachings and they and they they take on the lifestyle that sort of thing. So they to me weirdly are like the heart and soul of it. <laughs> Just in that like these people who are I mean you know as they're they're uh, microcosms of I guess the whole concept of it, which is like ragtag people who used to have an ideal, kind of lost it along the way, no hope left, and then they have something to fight for again. And that's a very simple, beautiful story. When he is blind walking towards this master switch, and he says, I'm one with the Force, the Force is with me, I'm one with the Force, the Force is with me. I, I think I like just, I pointed like Leonardo DiCaprio at the screen, I was like, that's Star Wars right there. That, that's it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They like, got so it. Force, it. It returns the Force to a sort of purely metaphysical thing, not a power, just a faith. And a function of the world that, yeah, um, always as the force wills it. That's a, mm-hmm. that's just a, a display of that. Not only that, but for me, the thing that really cemented exactly what you're saying there, Ben, is what what followed once he was fucking blown up by the death troopers or whatever, <laughs> and then uh, Bayes came along to him. And throughout the movie, oh. you had he was described by Chira as the character who was once the most devoted guardian of them all. But he'd grown sour, he'd grown bitter, and just kind of moved on from it because of what's happened with the Empire and how the Force has kind of fallen and all that sort of shit. Um, but because of his relationship with his partner, friend, clearly his boyfriend or whatever, um, because he's now lost that partner, he then just takes a second to actually fully re-engage with it once again. He says he's one with the Force, the Force is with him. He does he it for his friend, friend, and he also does it for himself. And it, it, it comes it comes purely from the like I, I could just see the emotional beat of it. Like he he I wanna comfort my friend. I'm repeating this to him. It's affecting me now. Oh my god, I'm a guardian of the wills again. And yeah. then yeah. goes on a rampage. And you're just And then like, just oh, before man. he dies as well, the moment I love, just before he actually does kick it, he just takes one last look back at his friend before was, he yeah, actually dies. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't fail to bring tears to my eyes. No, it's I was just about to say that the the moment where he kind of he looks back, his mission, like, despite the fact that he took such a long detour from his mission, it's finally complete. He was able to lay his life down in a service of something that he finally believed in again. And the fact that it was Chirrut that kind of reignited his belief by proving that devotion, you know, trumps it. 
like I just yeah that that smile and like how warm the shot is and everything it just looks it's lovely. Do you remember when we met Donnie Yen? I was just about to say. Do you remember <laughs> that Donnie Yen is our best friend? Yeah. Wait, what? We we went to um, the the Cineworld at the O2, um, and we was going to go see of all fucking movies, Assassin's Creed the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but as we turned up to the cinema, it was like, what the fuck's going on? There's a lot of people here. Turns out the premiere for Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, was happening at the exact same time that we oh went to see a movie. So fucking Vin Diesel was there just walking wow. along the red carpet, whoever else was in the cast. Um, we went to Nando's for some lunch. And then yeah, or some dinner or whatever. Well, we we got um, there. No, but we we got there, and then we we couldn't get like you couldn't. The only way into the cinema was the red carpet. So we we got there, and we were like, "Is our film not on? Like, there's no yeah. one here that we can ask except for Nina Dobrev and Donnie Yen and Vin Diesel. <laughs> so who the fuck do we talk to? Um, but we got some Nando's, and then um, yeah, and then what, we, what yeah, happened we just, after? We just stood at the barriers for a little bit because we couldn't go into the cinema. We wasn't allowed, so we just stood there for a little bit until we could go in. <laughs> And then the stars started coming down, and we met Donnie Yen. It was pretty cool. Oh my god! There's that's... there's a picture with basically what the, there was a couple of girls we were with the Wentzwell Uni. I think Beth was there as well, who's been on this podcast a few times. Um, and they they were they were so obsessed with Nina Dobrev and getting pictures with her, and they were like, "Oh my god!" And then me and Nathan were just in the background, being like, because we couldn't get to the front, we just couldn't. There was too big of a crowd, but we knew we were in the background of the photo, so we were like, "Get one with Donnie Yen, get one with Donnie." <laughs> so, 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 couple of girls that we know have a picture with Donnie Yen, where me and Nathan are just in the background, going. <laughs> I think that was was that around? It, I mean, we were at uni, so it must have been around 2016, right? It was. It was after. Rogue yeah. Oh, oh, of course it was, yeah, because we we were we were shouting, "I'm one with the force." The force is with <laughs> yes. <you."> yes. <laughs> um, exactly. But yeah, I think just having him as like like as this guy, he's sort of this mystic part of the team, and um, he's he's the reason. He's kind of like the the reason why everyone even cares about the force again. Like he, yeah. he sort of just is like, yeah, I, don't, I know what that guy's doing because the the force is dark around him, so he's gonna go kill someone. And Jin just immediately listens to him because she has her own sort of old faith of the force that her parents mm. kind of gave her. This kyber crystal that she kind of holds onto and looks at. Like there's a there's a part of her as well that knows what the force is, and that's how they develop a connection. And he sort of he's this like moral, um, what do you call that? Moral linchpin of the group yeah again three hour cut i want more of that i want even more of it and i want the gandalf speech to her or something there's um there's a fun there's a fun moment in this where he goes um where he says like you said like the force is kind of like surrounding itself um uh, around cassian as he's planning the murder of galen Erso. um mm-hmm. and chiriot uh, says to bay is uh does he look like a killer and bay says no he has he has the face of a like a friendly friend and i'm like who are you fucking? No, he doesn't. <laughs> he, looks, he, lo- he looks like he's about to go and murder everyone. He doesn't look friendly in the slightest. I found it. I found it. I found it. I haven't seen this photo in so long. Here it is. Wait, I'm not in it. I thought he was in it. <laughs> no, I am though. Oh, that's a great picture. Look at it. He's so beautiful. Jeez. Um, do you know who is not so beautiful? CGI face replacement Tarkin. Uh, who is in oh, this movie. Yeah, that's, yeah. Rough. That's, that's rough. You know, I did an edit 
of that for I think it was one of the caravan of garbages where I turned they they just Mason and James were like suggesting like it should have been a hologram and then I, I literally yes. just did like a quick hologram edit and it looks so good it just looks flawless when it's yeah. under that and I you know, I remember my thought process watching it in the cinema it, he was he was in the reflection right because I went into it like. Yeah, so he's dead, right? Peter Cushing is dead. He's not in the <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah. Whatever they've done, they got they got this guy Guy Henry to come in and stand in, and then they painted over him. Love that performance. He's good. Yeah, and he, good. like, yeah, so good. And there's like something I'll say on the technology of it. I'll say it in a bit. But I remember watching this in the um, in the cinema, and the way he's introduced with his face on the reflection in the in the glass of the Star Destroyer, I was like. That's they couldn't have done that better. And then he turned around, and I went, "Oh God, no! <laughs> to, to go to go back. You had it. You had it perfect." And I was gonna say, I appreciate the effort. Me and Nathan have had this conversation a few times about like recasting versus CGI kind of face replacement stuff, because obviously the people in the original trilogy are either sadly not with us anymore, or they're just they don't look like they did like <laughs> however many decades ago. So in in a situation where the character is the lead in terms of like Alden playing Han. I think a recast makes sense. It's good to let someone else carry the torch and carry on that iconic character. Where the character is a um, a secondary character at max, like he's really in a f- few scenes in this, and he's he's there as like a, like a, a, at best a secondary antagonist. I think it is important for Lucasfilm to carry on pushing the envelope forward in terms of like technical achievement because it's it's cool right it, it it's a it's cool that someone can do that but at the same time like especially especially when they do it later on with um with Leia as well it it it, it these are supposed to be like either a physically like a scarily imposing character or a character that's supposed to evoke like a an enormous reaction in you not only because you're seeing princess leia as she was in the original trilogy again but because she's ending the movie on a note of let's go get them boys Let, let's do it and they mm-hmm. just look very, very uncanny valley. And I think it's I don't think the Leia one's as bad as Tarkin. Do you not? I think I think they're about as bad as each other. Oh, I don't know. Nowhere near for me. I just think like when you're using a developing technology, like this is from an artistic perspective. They might not have been thinking from an artistic perspective, but when you're making a movie, you're making a piece of art, you're gonna use brand new technology, think about how that's gonna age your thing. Yeah. When it doubles the next year and then quadruples the next year and then octuples. Like, you just be aware that if you're putting that much weight on that thing, you know, like he's an important character in this movie. Just be conscious that it's gonna age. That's just a that's just an fact of it you got a future proof stuff yeah you do you do but what i would say and this is why i'm kind of in two minds about this because i agree it doesn't look great but i also agree that you do need to keep pushing the envelope of technology um and when you say like it's going to date it because in the next year it's going to be doubled in the year after that it's going to be quadrupled whatever that wouldn't happen if you didn't put it in that it only Mm. doubles as you keep using it, you can't get it to perfection straight away. You have to get it and work on it. I see that, and I raise you Avatar 2, where they didn't make the movie for 10 years, no, just so didn't. it would look flawless. <laughs> they didn't, but what what also happened with Avatar 2 is you had a whole bunch of other movies in the meantime using technology and, and developing sure. and pushing it further. We've had like Marvel working on de-aging for the past how many years, so they, it's not... I see what you're saying, but James Cameron isn't yeah. working on the film industry alone. All right. He's got you there, Ben. He's <laughs> fucked you up with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lawrence. Um, anything else to say on 
Oh my god, so much. This movie is like so cool and I fucking love what it's trying to do. It's so cool and I just I I I, I long for more content out of it because it's such a good idea and they can never do it again. I just feel I feel a longing, I feel a love. Like this movie fills me with so much emotion, you know? And and I appreciate it. I really do. It brings new stuff to Star Wars as well. Like I've got I've got a note that says like in terms of expanding Star Wars as a universe. I found I found recently that kind of Disney have and this is this is not supposed to be like a oh fuck Disney Star Wars kind of thing because it's it's very boring. Um but like I do find that like some of the time they can restrict the universe to what the universe has been and no further beyond that. Like mm-hmm. they can tell new stories, but they they're not willing to change change the galaxy in any way shape or form. Whereas with like this one I think making something as visually distinct as Scarif like it's it's fucking it's lovely and it's the fact that they just made up a new one um and and went fuck it it's here and it looks like this and it's gorgeous mm-hmm. and they have like the the shield gate is like a really interesting concept um the is it the nathan you you can correct me on this is it the hammerhead corvette it is the Shit. Hammerhead corvette, yeah. it's it's great like it, and i love that its job is just smash into that <laughs> fucking cunt like just fuck, <laughs> just go hit that go hit him that's yeah. what you're there for yeah. like and i love that it's dumb and um, another thing that I love that I feel like <laughs> I feel like me and Ben especially can sympathize with this um, is the crux of this movie. Uh, the the entire conflict comes down to finding a convenient way to send large files, um, <laughs> which, which I <laughs> which I really like, and it's just it's stupid, but it's also like the end of the world stakes, and it's great. Yeah, and yeah. you know, at the end, at the end, like I I think there's this moment where just like you know all our characters have blown up, and then the camera pans over to the ship. And, and it's like, okay, now we have to finish the story of the plans themselves. And that's like, yeah. that's really sweet. And it's the spe- and sort of this, it's almost like the, we're watching their spirits transferring into the plans or something, if you're getting metaphysical with it. And you see sort of like, well, the fruits of their labor finally achieving something. And that's why it works so well as an ending. Because you've killed all the bad, all the good yeah. guys. Yeah. Now their spirit lives on in all these people running away from Darth Vader. It's I, exactly what Leia says, is the physical manifestation of hope. That has been yeah. delivered to them. She should have said that. This is a physical <laughs> manifestation of <laughs> Nathan, um, can you eliminate my confusion? What is a bothan? And oh, I don't know. Oh, I know. Well, bothans aren't there. Bothans got the plans for the second Death Star. Also, bothans are a class in Battlefront Two. They are the spy class, and they can turn invisible. Oh. And they have a shotgun. The original Battlefront Two. The original Battlefront Two. They are okay. they are the rebel spy class. Really cool. And I was always like, oh, that's what a Bothan is. Yeah, so the Bothans <laughs> didn't take the first Death Star plans. It was the second one. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> wait, I wanted one more thing because I am I, I think just like philosophically, I'd love to get everyone's take on this. I feel a, a kind of torn on something about this. I don't know how I feel about the fact that the Death Star's weakness was a deliberate sabotage. A big theme, I think, of the original trilogy is that the Empire is arrogant. They have so much power that they ignore small flaws in their designs, in their forces. They underestimate the Ewoks, which is the reason they get destroyed. And, and more importantly, in the original Death Star, there's a specific moment where he says, we've analyzed their attack strategy. There could be a danger. And Tarkin says, abandon the, this at our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances when, in fact, he is underestimating them. And I feel like spiritually, like in the core of like, that's Star Wars, I... To me, it kind of butts heads a little bit with this idea that it was a purposeful mistake. 
in the design that's uh, that, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's a question that i sort of have about it. i don't yeah. know how i feel about it and i'd love to get your take on that i can see yeah i can see exactly what you mean that is definitely a big thing throughout uh, the original trilogy and it is part of what makes their downfall so enjoyable in a way it's that they just they, yeah. they couldn't fathom that they would lose it's it's so foreign of a concept to them um that yeah it's it's all the more enjoyable so so yeah it does kind of take away a little bit from that i i think you can still make it work it's like they they had a guy who was so known to be against the empire that he kind of defected and ran away from it all and they thought we'll get him back and build it and he won't do anything to it because we're the empire what can he do against <laughs> uh, us yeah so it, I like it can that. still kind of work a little bit but but I do agree that it does kind of lose a little bit of that uh, that sense of uh, what's the word I'm looking for here just arrogance from the empire. I do agree with that. Yeah, because like with you know I guess just now sort of what you've set up is that the climax of a new hope is now the fulfilling of Galen's plan, not the will of the Force uniting and trusting yourself and exploiting uh, evil, which is forgetful and silly because evil sucks but what i would say to that is the force works in mysterious ways (laughs) that is the you know through yeah yeah. and everything yeah that's kind of like that that's actually lord of the rings ish because (laughs) lord of the rings is all like people working to make frodo's thing happen yeah and in the end it's sort of it is up to frodo but really it wouldn't have been possible without all of this that that you're right that's i'll take that i am fine with it because since 2016 I have seen way less biggest plot holes in Star Wars. Pointing to the shaft, Uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I am like, I do agree. You you definitely lose. um, I mean, you like you like Nathan said, you gain it in other ways, and you like Ben said, you lose it in some ways. Um, An interesting element that was definitely a theme. It's not a coincidence that we that the Empire just were dumb enough to not think something through entirely. Uh, because they looked at it and went, it's big and it, it explodes things. Mm-hmm. Go Empire! I, 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 you know, it saddens me that you lose an element of that, but just <laughs> it, it's it's worth it for how many less annoying people we now. Get from. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, okay, and, it, and is... it's also a threat. I like the threat in terms of Disney is like. You keep telling us we f- we'll make a whole fucking movie telling yeah, yeah. you you're fucking wrong. <laughs> like, I love that. I, it's great. For anyone listening who is who has a problem with a movie, most I think what your problem is is actually that you have a question about the movie. And what you need to do is ask other people. What Nathan provided to me is a brilliant reattribution of a theme to add context to what I was really missing from something. That was my fault. Nathan gave me something there. And now I can appreciate this movie. In the spirit of that, I'm first, uh, I, yeah. In the spirit of that, I don't know how you feel about this movie, but do can you tell me who are the five armies in the Battle of the Five Armies? Yes. <laughs> Here's my take. Here's my take. It's the elves. It's the dwarves. It's the men of Lake Town, and it's two orc armies. That's what it is. See, I would say the two orc armies are the same orc army. Because... I disagree. <laughs> I think they're two different armies. In the same way that the Isengard forces are different from the Moria forces. The Axis had three armies. The Allies had 57, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that it wasn't just... They don't conglomerate to become one army now. It, they, are, they all have their own leadership. Um, 
they all answer to kind of maybe the same person, but as a force, they're made up of different people. If anything, Nathan, your take that the orcs just must be seen as one army is racism. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan knows how tired I am about talking of The Hobbit. Ben, you know I still have work to do surrounding The Hobbit. Please, yeah, can we I still have work to do. Hobbit? I've got way more than you have to do on The Hobbit. Wait, okay, I have one more thing I want to talk about this movie, uh, okay. which is kind of talking about this, talking about the scale and sort of it as a storytelling device. I think, in particular, like what I love more than anything, I think, is the way that they've intercut the the first time the Death Star is shot with um, Galen telling her that there's a plan, her crying, knowing that she's never gonna, maybe we'll never see him again, uh, an entire city getting destroyed. What you've accomplished there visually is something that is way bigger than a plot point, way bigger than a story. You, it's a it's a immense feeling of cosmic significance and overwhelming stakes that just have like lined up and connected and that is why I love it because it, at its essence at its core when they do something like that you're like fuck and you feel it in your like gut that this like you're, you're, you're I don't know but for me in the cinema my stomach like dropped as as you're being faced with what the empire is capable of you you know what what they have to do to stop it this thing is out there and they have to destroy it and also your father is at the same time telling you i we can destroy it we can trust me while it's exploding right right outside on the horizon <laughs> destroying this planet it's indescribable and when you can achieve something like that in a high in a big scale movie i i leap for joy at that yeah. and all of my all the things that i say about sort of the production and stuff that that i think what what i'm getting at this whole time is just that they had they have true greatness in the core idea and the execution of the core idea itself and that's what i love about it and all, all my little grievances they, they don't really mean anything because they're they, it's what it's coulda shoulda woulda and i <laughs> This movie exists, and I'm really glad that it does. You know, that's how I feel about the Hobbit. Okay, I, I don't think I can talk about the Hobbit anymore. But <laughs> um, no, no, you are right. That is an absolutely great scene, and a very emotional and heartbreaking scene as well. That's Oof. always one that gets me a Oof. little, a little choked up. Um, so yeah, Lawrence, any final thoughts on your favorite movie, Rogue One? I was very, I'm, I'm very happy with this movie in terms of like, yeah, it, it, there are elements of it that are a shame, and there is definitely a better movie in an edit uh, in some some timeline somewhere in the Disney vault there's a better version of this that would have been cool I like that um, then they followed it up they had the balls to follow it up with another original project I wish that they would continue continue making these and also push them further outside the box of the Skywalker saga like I, I mean you're getting them in terms of like some Disney plus shows and stuff but nothing beats just a nice Star Wars movie that doesn't really like matter all that much that's not to discredit it and say it's like not good but it's it's something that isn't it doesn't matter if you see it it doesn't matter if you get heavily spoiled on it it's not part of the Skywalker saga it's not part of the mainline shit that people give a shit about um yeah i just wish that there was still a big screen experience going on and that and that these were that risks were still being taken like this cuz mm. this and solo even though i know ben isn't a ginormous fan of solo they they're interesting to me and i i wish they were still kind of present in there some are way. two movies currently on the schedule whether or not they actually happen is a different story but um one of them scheduled for next christmas which unless they push it back i don't think is all going to production like yesterday um i don't think it's it's gonna happen necessarily i agree lawrence yeah it's it's uh it's a shame that they don't make movies like this anymore and i it's, it's sad that i have to say that about something made six years ago <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah um 
all right we'll 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 <laughs> we'll round it back out um as i you know if you've if you've made it with us this far thank you for listening uh but we do have one more thing to discuss before we go um if you for some reason just started listening to this halfway through or now and you missed the beginning i'm going to repeat a question at the start of every episode i will ask a question uh to typically just nathan but this week nathan and ben um and it can sometimes relate in some way shape or form to the movie thing slash whatever we're talking about uh so this week i asked that um basically rogue one brought back something uh, that has been a staple of star wars since it was first introduced uh, which is a droid slash robot with a silly voice uh, not in terms of like r2 or bb8 i'm talking the likes of k2so l3 uh whatever nathan said matt berry's droid was uh, and my question to you was that you are directing a star wars movie any typical movie whatever I want a, a brief overview of your design choices for your droids, and I also want the name of the person uh, portraying your droid. We've got two options for you in terms of the actor. The concept of the droid is the same. So I've gone for an astromech who is murderous. That's not an original design. I've totally stole that from a Star Wars comic, by the way. <laughs> but it's a it's just a murderous astromech. Uh, Astromechs traditionally don't have voice actors. It's usually just a series of bleeps and bloops <laughs> and whatever. But I thought it'd be fun to switch it up if we have either Daniel Craig doing his Benoit Blanc voice from Knives oh. Out, <laughs> or just Benedict Wong just doing like a very intense, very dark sort of voice. So yeah, that's my options. I would love a little Astromech gliding around, being like. Just, uh, I declare these things. <laughs> the, the, thank you for the Death Star plans. I'd love that. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, all right, Ben. I, I'm kind of in a toss-up for the design, but I think I want a Keanu Reeves droid. <laughs> um, I'm imagining his voice sort of speaking very technical words um, very, very seriously. Like, like, he's not a comedy sort of character, but, like, just the fact that it would be him. And, and maybe a human-sized one. Or a small one, maybe like a very agile kind of droid, you know, you know, like Cogsworth from uh, Transformers Five. Yeah. Like if it was like that kind of thing, and Keanu Reeves saying like, <laughs> "We have to connect to the mainframe." Like, <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. That'd be it'd be pretty sweet. Oh, good. Well, thank you for joining us, Ben. It's been great to to have you on and chat. Not to give anything away, but I think you may or may not be coming back when we discuss She-Hulk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to do that. That'd be okay, great. Okay, perfect. Well, yeah, we'll definitely have great. you back on for that. We'll kick off Beth, the only woman we ever have on the podcast to talk about the TV <laughs> show. So that'll be fine. <laughs> and I'm sorry if you made this movie. I'm not talking about you. and I'm not saying you did a bad job. I just like the thing you made a lot. We'll we'll send That's an it. apology card and a fruit basket to Gareth Edwards. Yes, and or yes. Tony Gilroy. Gareth I'm Edwards. not sure which one. And or and or and or Tony and Gilroy. Or hey, oh. he's done it. He's brought it back. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, thank you for listening. Um, please rate review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. If they have a review function, leave a review. Next week we're going to be doing this. I dreamed a dream in time gone by. What else? Oh, yeah, you can follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search another Happy Pod and you'll find us. Uh, we're also on Twitter there as well, but, you know, we don't really use that that much. Uh, all right, cool. Thanks. Um, bye, I guess. Let's have Trains Hey Soul <laughs> Sister play us out. <laughs> no, fuck, no. <laughs>
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.